Welcome to the Divine Rebel Podcast. I'm Pavitra Banavar, also known as the Clueless Psychic. I'm a spiritual guide, creative consultant, and holistic healer. This podcast is for the spiritual woman who is ready to drop the shoulds in all aspects of life. If you've finally taken the leap towards your personal freedom, then you're ready to break all the rules and do things your own way. I'll be interviewing other spiritual entrepreneurs and leaders on how they're paving their own path and making their dreams come true on their own terms. We'll be talking about all things spirituality, inclusivity, human design, and business. Get ready to unleash your inner divine rebel. Hey fam, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I am really excited today because I have my friend Stephanie Martinez back on the podcast. Um, If you guys have been around since the beginning, uh, she's been around for a couple of episodes um, at this point. And I had this like download or intuitive hit, whatever you want to call it, the other day to have her come on to talk about the Divine Feminine because she has been working um, over the past year or so on kind of exploring the Divine Feminine, um, different archetypes within the Divine Feminine and things like that, especially from like the BIPOC lens, which I always love. So um, I wanted to just bring her on to really do like a deep dive into the Divine Feminine. And so I am really excited to see where this conversation goes. So welcome back to the podcast, Steph. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to connect with you again on here. It's always an honor. And this conversation, I just like can't wait. I know it's going to be juicy. I know. I'm yeah, I'm excited to see like where it takes us because obviously I have questions, but I'm always somebody who's like, oh, but let's just see where it goes. So I'm excited. Um, I, I did an episode like way back, um, kind of exploring like divine feminine and masculine energies like in business. But I knew like I hadn't even scratched the surface on things. I think like that one was very much kind of like kind of general sort of information you see everywhere. And so um, I think lately I've really been drawn to more like exploring the divine feminine and kind of especially going deeper with it than I think what you see kind of like on Instagram, things like that. Um, Do you want to just start with what drew you into working with the divine feminine and exploring the archetypes? Yeah. Um, So it was the year of 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually, you know, very beginning of like the quarantine. And I just found myself with so much time um, that I was new to. And mm-hmm. I just started like, you know, that it was also the time where I'm like stepping out of the spiritual closet, like diving into all things spirituality, following you know, all of the popular white spiritualist accounts, like I'm just exploring. Um, And at the time, one of the people, one of the people that I was following, Melissa Wells, I don't know if you are familiar with her. don't know her. But she um, was doing this container or not a container, it was a challenge. It was a seven day divine feminine challenge. And that was an era where like the challenges with the amount of time we had on our hands, we were like all doing every challenge possible. So um, I was like, I really wanted to do this divine feminine uh, seven day challenge where she did like one archetype a day. Um, 
And that was like my little introduction to it. And I thought it was really fascinating. I didn't know anything about it at the time. So I was just kind of like, wow, like just to see women in such multi-dimensionality, it was like really, really cool for me to kind of like explore and open my mind to that. Um, but I actually didn't touch on it again until 2021. Um, and I didn't know why until I started to learn more about kind of just digging into my own roots and my ethnicity. And um, I realized like I didn't really see my, even though I felt like, wow, this is so many different layers to what it means for the divine feminine. I still didn't really see myself in all of those layers. Um, and I think that's what kind of made me want to dive deeper into it. But this time conscious of my own experience. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so that from there, I started digging into it more. And I'm just, I'm in love with how powerful we are and how different we can be. And I and I feel like I also have only scratched the surface. So I love having this conversation with you. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that. So that kind of does take me into kind of the next question I had for you, which is, like, how do you view the divine feminine, I guess, compared to kind of, yes, like this white spirituality sort of like um, uh, community that's like on Instagram or like online or whatever, where, you know, like we've all seen like this goddess vibe of like the women dancing in their like white flowy dresses or in their lingerie or whatever. And like, and like you spoke about kind of the the BIPOC, like your own, you know, ethnicity and your culture and all of those things like playing into it. So, yeah, like how do you view the divine feminine? I think at this point, um, I view the divine feminine as really this energy of like receiving. Um, but the way in which we receive, I feel like is so intimate to all of us. I think what I see or what I, I believe that the, the divine feminine, I feel like she's so much more than um, what you see on Instagram. And that could be for like number of reasons, right? I mean, it's really hard to like get everything down into, you know, a little carousel post or a reel. So I get it. But in my opinion, online, the divine feminine is still so boxed in. She's still so limited into like one or two ways of being, you know, and you mentioned like this flowy goddess, you know, in a white dress and just dancing, losing her, you know, sense of um, like losing her touch with reality to be totally in the zone while she's dancing. And while that is very beautiful and very feminine um to a point that's that we're so much more than that still and I feel like we went from liberating ourselves to get away from being um so much in our masculine energy based on like society and culture only to box ourselves into um pushing away those aspects of us that might be a little bit more masculine but still divine feminine you know, I, I just feel like, for example, I will probably touch on this later, but like the huntress, mm -hmm. you know, she's probably one of the most, I guess, masculine, you could say she's the go getter. She's, you know, the hunter. And to feel like that is not a divine feminine because she's not as um, 
in her flow is maybe the lover archetype or maybe even the queen archetype, I just feel like it's so limiting. Uh, so I think the divine feminine is really, it's so many things and it can be so many things, which is the point, right? Is to allow ourselves to be multidimensional beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And we are definitely going to like go into each of the archetypes. But that also speaks to something that, like I said, with like, I've, I barely scratched the surface, because I'm sure I've heard of, like these different archetypes, but it's not like widely spoken of. It's kind of like, you're right, I think that the divine feminine is kind of like boxed in, in terms of, I guess, like, on, in the online space, you know, where, like, you only really see, like this one maybe two different types of, of like women that are out there. And I can speak from personal experience that I have definitely gone from being more in my like masculine energy to coming into this space and kind of always hearing about the divine feminine. And it's like, oh, okay, I would love to be that. But I don't also see myself as like the goddess in the flowy dress. And like, you know, of course, like I view my higher self in that way. But I also don't really like come off that way, I guess. And like, that's very hard. But I loved how you like did break it down. And you you know, because you said, you don't have to box yourself in like you can be the huntress who also goes after what she wants. But yes, maybe in this different way than the masculine would go after it. And I think that that is like what maybe is missing, like when we see this Mm -hmm. in the online space, because it's really kind of like this thing of like, either this or that and there's never this sort of like gray area of you can be a woman in her power but also like the lover and you know it's always like because I I mean I will say like I see you know obviously like I see women like in their like lingerie online and and talking about the divine feminine and their higher self and all these things and I'm like this kind of just feels like clickbaity more than anything more than than like <laughs> right. really being in your divine feminine because like to me, at least at least my personal view is like you don't have to show up like barely, you know, wearing clothes and all that stuff to stand in your divine feminine. Right. And I think there's like that um, that balance that's always so important because I feel like with the online space, we're so quick to go to like extremes, one polar extreme versus the other. And I, I feel like if, you know, being in the lover archetype is what kind of makes you feel like you're in your divine feminine energy by all means embrace that but there is this idea that that's like what is and that's the truth of what it means to be in your divine feminine and I just think that that is really um it's really harmful because we get that enough with media and with pop culture and our own cultures and our own you know upbringings and everything like we we get boxed in enough and I just feel like yeah like you know it's so easy to go from one extreme to the other so there is this messaging that like the lingerie and the clickbait like that's feminine and it's just not end all be all in my opinion yeah and I, I would say I guess like I have seen that a lot of that stuff like does tend to be from like the white spiritual like women online who like I don't know are just a lot quicker to kind of like show that off whereas I think like the women of color that I see online speaking about it like they always come at it from a different 
sort of way, like it seems a little more like rooted in that sort of sense of like you are multidimensional. You don't just have to show up in this one way, you know, because we have like the mother archetype, like all of these like archetypes that have nothing to do with like being the lover, right? Like, I mean, they they have their own um, like roles to play. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And like we are all all of the archetypes like exist within us. And so I, I just think that we suppress it enough, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I love that. Um, do you want to do a quick breakdown of each of the archetypes since we've already started talking oh, yeah. about some of them? <laughs> yeah, um, I actually just want to say that you kind of mentioned something about seeing that a lot of that like divine feminine um, being portrayed right now with like the lover archetype is coming from white, white women mostly. Um, and I think it's really important that you say that because as women of color, it's, it, how do I want to say this? It's, um, we have experiences being fetishized, like, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, so we can't, like, there are certain experiences that we have that don't allow us to fully, um, show up as the lover online, even if maybe someone deep down wants to embrace that aspects of them, aspect of themselves, or, um, maybe they feel repulsed by that aspect because of society and culture. And so like, I just, I wanted to say, like, I love that you brought that up because that's what I'm, I mean by like being really conscious about my experience as a Brown woman and how that plays into my own expression of all of these archetypes. So yeah, I, I didn't want to move on without like telling you that I, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Mm, yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, I think we all have it, right? Like from our own, like whatever your culture is, like, you know, I think like you're a Latina woman, I'm an Indian woman. Like, I think we all have our own, like, obviously like cultural backgrounds of like what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And also like, you know, right. what society deems as acceptable for all of us. Like, so we're, we're kind of playing with a lot of those like external conditioning or, or whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it that, not to say that like, okay, white women don't have it or that they're not watching TV and seeing like a specific type of like body type and all those things portrayed. But I do think they get away with a lot more or at least like they internally maybe don't hold as much conditioning around like how they're, they're like supposed to show up. Agreed. I, I totally agree. And I think that's a very, very um, important thing that you said is that like, the way we express these aspects of our um, divine feminine energy has a lot to do with these external conditioning. Like it really does. Mm -hmm. And we can go into it, like into, into them. Cause I'm sure you'll like, as we go through the archetypes, there will be some that maybe your culture embraces that mine doesn't or vice versa. And that's just like the reality because we are so, we are so multidimensional. Like, of course, there are going to be archetypes that are easier for you to embody that might be harder for me. And so I'm, I'm just excited to dive in. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So the first one that we all as, um, that as women, we all really kind of start out with is the maiden. So the maiden is, that's like our, um, starting point, I guess you could say for all of us. Mm -hmm. And she mm -hmm. is 
she's really like the damsel in distress. The Disney princess is what she's coined as, is like the Disney princess syndrome. So think um, virgin, pure, like this super um, high-spirited girl who has just so much trust in the universe because she hasn't experienced much yet. So she has like a lot of faith. She's super adventurous. It's almost like the full card. Like you're just about to jump and you just have complete trust that you're going to land where you land because everything is like unicorns and rainbows at this point. You haven't really had a lot of like life experience that teaches you that everything isn't rainbows and butterflies all the time, right? So the maiden is like the first kind of archetype that we uh, experience and that we get to really embody. Um, I think for if we are bringing it back to like a BIPOC perspective, I think some of us um, are maybe not, some of us maybe, and I don't even know that this is just BIPOC. I think, you know, all women face adversity in their lives that like sometimes make us grow up really fast. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really get a lot of time to be in our maiden energy. And when we don't get a lot of time to um, feel that maiden energy in our youth, what happens is, is we can grow older to resent women who are these like super peppy. We may even call them naive. We may, you know, you kind of start to like, there's a tiny resentment there or like you almost disapprove of how um, naive and trusting of the universe these women are because you yourself had to grow up so fast um, or there are even other cultures who maybe have like daddy's princess. And so on the flip side, she's encouraged to stay in that maiden energy for as long as she can. So I think that's, you know, we'll see that a lot in the archetypes is how different we, you know, can like our upbringings can really play a role in whether or not we embrace it. But the ultimate thing for the maiden is to play. I mean, she's, you, you want to play, you want to be like a, a kid again and really have this like confidence that you can take over the world because that's, you're just at this starting point where you fully believe in yourself. There's no reason not to. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love like the, the juxtaposition of that because yes, there is like the maiden who is kind of forced to like grow up quicker because it's like, okay, you got to like know the realities of the world or like something, you know, harsh or traumatic has happened and that like that she grows up. But then I was also thinking of like the other side where there are cultures who like want to keep their daughters like virginal and pure and, you know, like kind of in that like state of the maiden, you know, even Mm -hmm. to their own detriment. Right. Like, but I think that that is that's so interesting that you can have like, and I think that's what I loved about like seeing you go into each of these archetypes is like seeing the shadow side and then like the light side of each, because it's true. Like one thing that can be like, oh, this is so nice and so happy and like great can also turn into, okay, but this is also like harming the woman or like, okay, this is a, a like a bad energy. Like, I don't want to say bad, but like kind of like a negative like energy that, that can also like, traumatize you and things like that right like um for let's say the woman who kind of was like daddy's princess right and so she's kind of really encouraged to stay in her maiden energy um longer or as long as she can when she for her what um an unbalanced kind of sign when she gets older as opposed to maybe resenting women who are so trusting of the universe 
the daddy's princess kind of maiden energy, um, her unbalanced side would probably be someone who grow like gets older to find themselves in um, victimhood a lot. Things are always happening to her. She feels stuck, almost like this trapped in the in the castle kind of vibe, waiting for a hero. Um, that can be her unbalanced side as an adult because. Again, she wasn't able to really come out of maiden energy and into like the mother or the wise woman. Yeah, I was just thinking because um, I was watching a documentary a couple of days ago about like honor killings, um, like in like the Middle East and stuff like that, like in Muslim cultures. And, you know, I think even that like the idea of like honor killings or like, you know, this this woman who is supposed to be like virginal and pure and then like whatever her her family or the men in her family deem as like dishonorable or okay she shamed the family and then it's like all of a sudden like then you turn to that other side of it I mean because the, the documentary I was watching like the girl survived and like to have to deal with that trauma after that you know so it's like it, it is true like it can turn very quickly like when you have those kind of like very like extreme like opposites right right so. the media loves the maiden I mean, the maiden is probably one of the most um, archetypes for the divine feminine that we see in media. She is almost every, um, if you think about it, almost every movie has the hero archetype as the male, the divine masculine. Mm -hmm. There's always this hero. And the plot is always written around the hero, saving this um, saving this woman who has really nothing going on about her character other than the fact that she's a damsel in distress who needs to be saved by a hero. So the, the media loves the, the maiden. She's almost like the definitely one of the most like represented in pop culture is the maiden for sure. Yeah, I mean, like over the summer with um, like, Gabby Petito like the you know and I think like when I look at that like yeah the media loves a story that's I mean especially when it's like a young white female who you know like something has happened to her but they want like they always portray them as this like innocent person whereas like obviously when you see women of color who have been victims of crimes it's like usually we're not portrayed as like this victim person it's like they usually try to like find this sort of like underbelly sort of story to tell about like, okay, why does she deserve that? As opposed to, I think like our white counterparts who are always seen as like this, like very pure girl who just like had this horrible thing happen to her. Yes. Like, you know, the, the girl next door mm -hmm. is definitely huge. I feel like, and it, you're right. It is harder for um, victims of color to be portrayed in media as like that, um girl innocent girl next door who was like you know harmed in this way more than not more than not were portrayed as like an unbalanced lover like some mm. like what what were they wearing or what was her past who did she date in the past like when it's a woman of color it's very much like and it's interesting that you say that because I, when i was exploring these that's one thing that kind of really stood out to me is that as women of color were very much expected to be maybe like two and we, we can totally get into that later because i have so much to say about that <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but okay should we move on to the mother or yeah. do you have any questions okay yeah let's move on 
So going on to the mother, that's kind of, that's the very next phase of like life for, for us as we kind of start to, um, like again, for the maiden who kind of grew up too fast, she had to grow up really fast to mother herself. So the mother archetype is our nurturer. It's our, it's, you know, our ability to be maternal and to, so a lot of mom friends might find themselves very comfortable in that mother archetype energy. Um, The mom friend or older, the older sibling, or, you know, the woman who did have to grow up very fast and learn to mother herself or mother her younger siblings or mother her parents even. Um, And then on the flip side, there's, uh, in, if you look at it in like, let's say, um, society and culture, you have like the cool mom, and then you have like the evil stepmom. So those are like the kind of the um, the different coins of the mother archetype is like this cool mom who is just super um, laid back. She's very like, oh, like I want to be a friend. Like I'm, I'm very, um, I want to be your friend. And so they kind of come away from they move away from really um, being that discipline or that like help for the for the kid. They'll instead kind of want to be the friend and almost like not feel comfortable in that maternal energy. And then you also have um, the controlling evil mom. So like if you think about the mother from Tangled, she's mm. like the perfect example that mother knows best energy. So a lot of times, even if, you know, we're not... Um, because like, like I was saying earlier, we have all of these archetypes within us. So even if we don't have kids, you have the mother archetype within you. Um, and it, it can come off as like always wanting to, um, always giving unsolicited advice, which I'm curious if like a lot of projectors feel comfortable in the mother archetype. Because <laughs> it's <know>. like, <laughs> right? Like always wanting to give unsolicited advice because you kind of like, you know best or you want to like help uh, help others. Um, giving that advice can be an unbalanced mother because you're, it, it's, you're enabling this person instead of, um, empowering them so instead of empowering them to kind of like spread their wings and fly you're like I know better than you because I I love you so I don't want you to get hurt so let me just give you my advice let me do it for you and that kind of controlling energy can be like your unbalanced mother um Mm -hmm. self yeah my little my little brain was like turning (laughs) because I was like I can kind of see how projectors can start out as like maybe the cool mom archetype and maybe be like oh like I want to share with you and like I want to tell you this like you know, like something I saw or like give you advice. And then I think that if like it's not accepted or you didn't have the invitation and then like that can turn to bitterness, which then could maybe like then you become Mm -hmm. like the kind of like evil sort of like because you are in that bitter state of like, oh, they didn't listen to me. Like I knew what was best for them and they didn't listen to me. So I can kind of see both sides of it. Um, And obviously the cool mom, like the one that always comes to mind is Amy Poehler from mean girls like I think she's like the epitome of the of the cool mom yes yes that's totally what I was thinking no the mother archetype if you think about um like kind of well known across the globe mother that would be like the most known um example of like the mother archetype would be mother earth like she gives and gives and um you know sometimes it's 
gives so much to the point where she'll lack giving to herself because she is providing and just being so nurturing and so giving. And the mother in her shadow at that point could um, maybe fall into like, I do everything for everyone and no one notices. I am a martyr. So it can turn into like being a martyr because you are giving and giving and giving and you forget to give to yourself. Um, so for the mother archetype, the medicine is always slowing down, slowing down and spending time in nature so that you can really check in with self because, you know, mothers, we like to, people always say mothers are superheroes, but I think we, that you forget that they're human beings. And so we forget that we are also human beings, even though we want to like mother our pets and our friends and our siblings and our parents and our projects, like everything that we even want to create, you know, because the mother is the creator as well. So she, that is that energy when you are in create, like in this create creative mode, you're also in your mother archetype. Mm. And it makes me think like, cause I know like, maybe even like around the world, I know that like fewer women are wanting to to start families, have children. Um, and I'm wondering if that is because we've built up this archetype of like, once you become a mother, I mean, of course, it's all about your child, right? Like you have to then raise this child. But I think we've almost made it a like a like this or that sort of thing. Like, okay, if you have a child, then you can no longer be like the career woman. And I feel like we've maybe turned this into something where a lot more women are just like, oh, well, I'd rather have my freedom and and be able to like have my career and all these things rather than become a mother and like be tied down because then that's all anybody's going to like see of me. Like, I wonder if that does play into it a little bit of like kind of just this like I, I feel like we are like moving towards this thing of a lot more women just being like, yeah, I don't like motherhood's not for me. Right. And I think it's because we've seen so much of the unbalanced mother in society and in culture and in the media. The, you don't really see the um, healthy, balanced mother as often as you see like a totally neglectful mother or a totally controlling mother. Like those are the, you always see the unbalanced archetype of this divine feminine. Mm. So it makes sense that now, you know, decades later, women are like, I do not want to be the martyr. Not really knowing and I think understanding that like that was not that does not have to be our truth. It, you know, we, you can tap into your mother archetype when you are with your children or when you're with your fur baby, but at the same time, you can also tap into your lover when you're in the bedroom and your huntress when you're at work. And it's just, you can be so much more than that one hat. Mm, yeah. I love that because it's funny as you were talking, I was like, thinking back is like looking at like pop culture and kind of like, you know, I grew up in the nineties as I think you, you did too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I think like the, the mom that was coming to mind was Claire Huxtable from the Cosby show. Cause it's like, I think that like, she was a, like, she was a, like a strong woman who obviously had her career and then she had this whole family and it's like, she balanced them both. But I think that like at that time in the nineties, like you had a lot more of these like these women on TV or, you know, like mm-hmm. in pop culture that were doing it all. And then I think like somewhere 
like coming into like the 2000s and stuff like that did change like all of a sudden you had this sort of like you know you you did start to see like more of the unbalanced sort of like mother figure I think on TV and so you know I think that for those of us who probably grew up in that era where it's like oh like we saw all these great like moms on TV and stuff like that it's like you know I think that like that kind of stays with you yeah such a good point that is such a good point because we were watching if you think about it we were watching what so we're 90s watching moms on tv so they were were they boomers and then Mm -hmm. our moms were what gen x so we're like so gen x is like very much i'm going to work it was like you're you're on this side or you're on this side of like the motherhood it kind of felt like gen x was very divided Mm -hmm. in terms of like stay at home mom or going back to work and so it makes sense that we saw like these moms and then Gen X as mothers were actually like, I want to be a stay at home mom or I want to be a working mom. And now the next generation as mothers are like, I want to live my life. Can I please be like a mom and do all the things that I want to do and still hold on to my, you know, individuality. Like, I feel like that is so important for women to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's a good point. I, I didn't even think about that, but the way that the generations were and how that does play into like our acceptance or disapproval even of the mother archetype. Yeah. I mean, I think cause like, I don't know, like as I get older, it's like, I still hold on to like nineties TV. And sometimes when I'm watching like newer shows, Same. I'm just like, Oh my God. I'm like, what is happening? Like everyone's like, <laughs> I mean, I know it's for drama, but it's also like, I kind of miss just like, that 90s sort of like you had like this stable home life like all these things and I feel like we've yeah like we've kind of moved towards like oh everything has to be like super dramatic and like all these things where I kind of feel like a grandma now when I watch tv I'm like I'm like what's happening here like (laughs) handless I know (laughs) I totally agree (laughs) I totally agree (laughs) all right next archetype Okay, so going to the next one is the wild woman. And the wild woman is, she's very um, instinctive, very instinctive, very intuitive. Um, The wild woman is like, okay, you're almost rebelling at this point. Like you've been, you've had experience as the maiden. We've had experiences kind of knowing how to nurture and mother others, um, at whatever point in our lives. And then at some point you start to kind of tap into like your spirit. There's like, wait, like there's something deeper in there. And that's the wild woman, that like deeper part of you that has this sacred rage, the deeper part of you that has um, just these animal-like instincts, like you just kind of know things, you know, when to go this direction, you know, when to make this phone call, you know, when to launch this item. There's just, uh, almost like this fire inside of you. That's like, I am the wild woman. She is the most, um, primitive of our archetypes. So, I mean, think like definitely deep connections to, um, ancestors, the wild woman is it's interesting because in media like you you'll see the wild woman as like this crazy um chaotic mess right like she's like 
let's see. Do you watch Grey's Anatomy? I used to. Do you remember um, Yang? Yes. Okay. Very wild woman vibes. Like, mm. she comes in to her shift on her motorcycle. She's got the, like, wild curly hair. She's just super, like, she's got this, like, like wild woman swag, right? There's just mm-hmm. this, like, like vibe to the wild woman. So she, if she's not seen in that way, then she's seen as, like, um, just the girl who is a mess. Okay, so she's either seen as like, okay, she's got her shit together and she is also not someone you want to mess with or that girl is a hot mess and she's all over the place and she is just so wild and chaotic. And like, so you get those like two sides of the wild woman. Both are following their instincts. Both are not conforming to people around her. One is deemed put together and then one is deemed like just such a mess to society society thinks the unruly woman is like such a hot mess when she's just living life unapologetically on her terms mm. so the wild woman is actually one of the most suppressed archetypes that we have we're very much um a lot of us are, are very afraid to walk life to the beat of our own drums a lot of us have not been encouraged to do that especially as BIPOC women, we're, we're not really encouraged to do that. If we are, we're seen as like, um, think of like the wild woman. Um, I'm trying to think of like, there's this character that's coming to my mind, but I can't put a name to her, but she's like, just, um, you know, who's actually coming to my mind. Uh, we just talked about this earlier. 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. And the, the um, what is her name? I forgot her name. The main but, girl in 10 Things I Hate yeah. About You? Um, I know it on the movie. It's like Cat. Yes. Yeah. So she would be like the wild woman. Like she's just seen as like unruly and just, but she speaks a lot of her truths. She speaks a lot of her um, honest opinions. She's very much herself. And like, that's the wild woman. Mm. You know who kind of, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but like who comes up as kind of like the hot mess one is like Britney Spears. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> Which I yeah. know is like, I mean, partly yes, because like of everything that happened to her, but I think that she had that like chaos. I think she does in general have like that chaoticness to her a little bit where you are almost like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> right yeah yeah no that's that's true and a lot of it is like okay like she's finally I feel like if you're thinking if you're talking about Britney Spears in terms of like present day the way that she's expressing herself on Instagram is so it seems so finally like free and it and it does kind of come across a little kooky like whenever you're looking at her posts but that is her being her and like her finally expressing herself after being like suppressed for so long so society definitely is not the most welcoming to the wild woman um or the wise woman I mean those are two kind of one in the same spirit that just almost like evolves mm-hmm. as as we grow they're almost two exact same archetypes just like at different they just express themselves differently but yeah those two are really not the most accepted 
Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think that like when people talk about like the divine feminine who's been repressed that like, you know, society is like scared of like it is, I think they are speaking of the wild woman. Like, you know, I mean, I think that that is the like, exactly like what you said about like the intuitiveness, like the, you know, instinctual nature. It's that like, you know, this woman holds like a power within her that you can't describe, you don't even know where it's coming from. Like it's just within us. And, you know, but I think that that is what, we've been held down because of like, you know, for whatever centuries, if you want, you know, well, I wouldn't even say centuries. Cause like, you know, I, back in the day when they had like priestesses and, you know, women were worshiped for that, like, but yes, over time, like the wild woman has obviously been held down. Yeah. You know, who would be seen as a wild woman today would be someone like Rosa Parks. She would be considered a wild woman. Because she had, she was, if she was afraid, she did not let her fear stop her from standing up for herself and what she thought was right. And at the end of the day, that's the wild woman is someone who is not afraid at all to say like, this is what I believe is right. And I'm going to fight for myself and for others. And I'm going to trust my instincts and I'm going to be strong and, and, and I'm going to fight for myself and others and I'm not going to be afraid. That's the wild woman. And I think you're right. Like, I think a lot of, I think our culture is afraid of the wild woman and is afraid of what women can be capable of if we allow ourselves to be ourselves fully and unapologetically. Yeah, the one that's coming to mind for me, like present day, um, would be Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Like, I mean, lover, hater, I love her. But like, you know, I mean, yeah, like she is a woman who unapologetically stands up for what she believes in and has like had public sort of like fights or whatever with like, you know, male members of Congress that it's like she really stands for what she believes in and you can tell like she's speaking from like this like place within her that you you don't even know like you know because she is this like young woman that you can kind of you know you can dismiss and I think a lot of like you know male members of Congress do dismiss her as just this like oh this young girl who doesn't know but like there is a fire within her and I, yeah, I, I love like, just like every time I hear her speak, it's just like, damn, I don't know where that's coming from, but it's, it's just so powerful. I love that. So she resonates with your wild woman. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I think like what's, again, what's like so beautiful about it is like the way we all can express these archetypes are going to be so different. You know, the way that you fight for what's right and the way that I fight for what's right is going to be different. And it doesn't make either of us less or more powerful. It just means that we are expressing that wild woman within, you know, the wild woman out of balance is afraid of her, you know, of her own callings. She can't hear her instincts or her intuition. And so always the medicine for the wild woman is going to be zero stimulation. You know, being in like silence and spending time alone is medicine for the wild woman because you can hear, you can, you can hear her at that point. Mm, I love that. Mm, Nice. (laughs) 
Yes, I love The Wild Woman. I feel like I've only tapped into her very recently. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, whenever I tap into my Wild Woman, it usually comes with like a fuck it. Like, I'm just going to yep. do the thing. Like, That's The Wild Woman, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, I have yeah. a lot of fire in my chart, so like that probably explains a little more. But And I think, I mean, you do too, because you, you're a Leo sun, so like... Yeah. So yeah, like I yeah, I'd always just just like a fuck it, let's do it. Like yeah, <laughs> right. That when you feel that, that's totally your wild woman. <laughs> that like fuck it. <laughs> okay, so moving on is gonna be the lover. So the lover is the next one, and um, the lover is also one that we we know most. So really, we know the the maiden, the mother, and the lover are the three most universally known and recognized. Mm. Um, The lover is very much also commercialized. Sex sells. It's everywhere. And so a lot of times that's what the lover archetype is minimized down to is like sex and sex appeal. But I think what is missing with the lover is that it's all about her magnetism. She, when the lover is in that energy, she is like a magnet to things. Things are attracted to her because she is attracted to herself. She desires herself more than she desires the attention outside of herself. So because of that, she attracts things to her. She attracts manifestations. She attracts opportunities. She attracts divine partners. Um, she just attracts so much and it has nothing to do with her sex appeal and everything to do with how much she desires herself, how much she loves herself. That is more the lover in my opinion. And just kind of when I see women as a whole and think about, you know, that, that appeal that like things, um, makes things drawn to us. It really comes from how we feel about ourselves and our inner confidence. So I feel like society really sees um, the lover. Again, like I just like, she's so boxed in and she's so much more than a seductress. She is, you know, someone who is very creative and loves connection. The whole point of the lover is that she loves she loves to connect. She loves to connect with nature and animals and people and art. She loves to connect to things that make her feel good. Um, and so connection and being magnetic are more, I think, um, I don't want to say important, but they're, they're more um of the meat and potatoes to the lover archetype than like the lingerie and just like feeling on yourself. I think that it's important to love on your body and to be comfortable in your body. And that will definitely help you tap into your lover. But I don't think that that's really what the lover is about. And I think that's like, that's such a good point to make because, you know, when I think about like, things I've seen on Instagram, like, you know, that's, that's the one I go to. Cause I think that's where you're probably seeing it the most, maybe TikTok. I don't know, but like, I just, I feel like you can almost feel through the screen. Like when somebody is just doing it because like, they're trying to like for shock value or just because like, you know, they want the likes or the, the other women to kind of come in and be like, Oh 
no, like you're beautiful. Like, you know, like that, that validation, like, like, I think you can almost sense that. And that's where it goes from being like, oh, this is just a woman, like, you know, in her power, like with the lover archetype, like, you know, like it goes from that to just being like, Ooh, like this just became awkward. Like I can sense it through the the screen that this just became like so awkward. And and I think that that's where, like you know, making that distinction between, okay, what are you seeing out there as the lover archetype, and what is it really, is so important. Right, right. I I think that you know, um, like I said, I mean, I think that self-love and self-pleasure is very important. And I think that it is very healthy. I also think though, that that is so, such a small part of who the lover is. I mean, that comes almost as like a cherry on top to what the connections and the way that she can draw things in based on her own self-love and self-confidence. I think that is like the most powerful way to see her. Um, I think in the shadow side of the lover, you, she's very, she is a seductress. She uses her sexuality to manipulate and to gain. Um, she may be a heartbreaker. She may be um, disconnected from her body, truly. Like, she may not feel comfortable. Um, she may not feel comfortable with pleasure in any form or sense. So pleasure is super important for the lover. Um, and when I mean when I say pleasure, I, I mean doing things that bring you pleasure, not just sex. But, you know, what does like cooking a good meal like feel like for you? What does lighting your favorite candles or starting a luxurious bath? What does you know what brings you pleasure and doing those things really helps you tap into the lover archetype? Um but yeah, I mean, in her shadow, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious what the shadow lover can fall into, whether it's, you know, self-loathing or even just hypersexuality. Those things can, can definitely be signs that it's unbalanced. But um, yeah, I think the lover is an interesting one. I have a lot of pet peeves around the lover. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a really hard one to kind of like play with because I think it can go from the like pleasure and like I'm doing it for myself like yes you can you can be doing it with a partner you know like and not just like sex or pleasure but you know even cooking a meal like even having that luxurious bath like any of those things can also be done with a partner but it's about you at the end of the day and I think what it is is like but it can easily turn into this thing where like I guess I always kind of go back to like people wanting to then like put it on like social media and make it like, you know, available for the world. Because um, I don't know if you ever saw this documentary, but it's called uh, Misrepresentation. It's like Miss, like M-I-S-S and then representation. And it basically was a documentary about like looking at sexism in the media. And like I you know, I distinctly remember them talking about like certain ads and things like that. Like, I think there was one where like Paris Hilton was doing like an ad for like Arby's burgers or something. And then was like, but was like in, in like a swimsuit and getting like washing a car. It was just very like, it was so unnecessary for what, what it was, but it was all about sex. And I feel like that's kind of where like, I see certain like certain things on Instagram or like women that I see kind of like going down this road of like 
even when it's not necessary, like there's just this like this like need to to like bring in sex and I'm like, okay, but who is this for? Like is this for empowering other women or is this like for the male gaze? You know, and that's something I've always kind of like had a problem with is it's like I understand the idea of like, oh, I think I'm doing this for for like a female empowerment when really I'm like, yeah, but I don't need to see you in lingerie to be empowered. Like, you know, that's for the male gaze. That's not for the female gaze. Right, right. I feel like it's again, it goes back to like these conditionings, these, these external conditionings that you spoke about in the very beginning. It's like, we are so conditioned to have that idea of like, oh, this is for me subconsciously. Like you said, like that's for the male gaze. Like that's very I mean, it's like rarely. you said sex sells like you know yeah, yeah sex sells and I think and even like when you think about just the idea of the maiden and the lover they are pit against each other in society and in the media all the time you know you have the virgin and the slut and it's just that like mm-hmm. those are the and so I feel like it, it's hard for women to embrace one or the other because you have those conditionings I mean it's almost like the woman who's more comfortable in her maiden energy would feel very judgmental or even um, about someone who might feel very comfortable in her lover. And the person in the lover could feel like the person in the, in the maiden doesn't love themselves enough to show their body or to be. And so it's so hard because that's, that's what I kind of meant earlier when I mean like we're boxed in enough. You know, we're, we're boxed in enough. We're pit against each other enough in terms of like archetypal, um, women. And so to like put our own selves in that where part of me feels like, you know, why are you posting lingerie when you really just want to do that? Cause you look good and you feel good. And then the other part of me being like, well, cause let her look at it feel good. Like even in my own head, I have these like maiden versus lover kind of ideas and it all goes back to that external conditioning and like really wanting to explore these archetypes to free ourselves and just be like fuck it I can be all the things you know yeah I think it also like is this idea of like we are in the age of like social media where everything needs to go on social media because if you didn't have it and you were just at home in your flowy goddess dress or your lingerie like you would just be doing that like that would just be your life but I think the fact that we now feel like everything has to be like on Instagram or whatever it's like I think that that's where it turns into this thing of like okay like was that necessary and but I but I I agree with you that I do think that like because of that conditioning we're all looking at it from our own lens and being like why is she doing this? Or why are you not, you know, posting this or whatever? So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It is. And I think like the most important thing as we're like learning about these is to see how you express that, you know, like this is like the, you know, a gist of what this archetype could be, but how does that look like for you? Or how does that be like, how do you feel comfortable expressing that part of yourself for you and the way that you tap into your lover could be totally different than me and then the next woman. And so that's why I feel like knowing these is fun, but then exploring how you feel these things are, it's like, that's really where you want to be so that you can validate yourself 
when you see that not only in yourself but in others and then you're like oh like I recognize the wild woman in her because I know that when I'm lit up by something that's my wild woman or vice versa like whatever archetype but it's all about really getting exploring ourselves at the end of the day you know yeah I mean at the risk of making this this episode like two hours long which <laughs> no, I know. I, but I would but I think like I would love to talk about like the lover from like a BIPOC perspective, because I think that the lover, especially from the BIPOC perspective, is a, a really hard one for a lot of women because like you're either not raised in a culture that, you know, has these sort of like, you know, like I know as, a, as an Indian woman, like even growing up, like you didn't see sex on TV, like yeah. Indian like yeah. movie shows, like all that stuff. I mean, even now it's pretty, it's like taboo. I think it's becoming a little more like, you know, out there and things like that. But I mean, you didn't grow up with like this, this version at all. And again, because even if you did have like that seductress type of woman, like maybe in like Indian movies and stuff, it was like, she kind of was like boxed into that, like that's who she was. And so mm -hmm. I think that maybe as like women of color, it's a little bit harder for us to really like show our, our lover archetype. Yes, I totally agree. I think that there are about like two or three archetypes specifically that stood out for me when I'm when I went to go pull um, BIPOC examples of each archetype that I was like, wow, like we're, we're really only painted as as very little of the archetype. We're really not shown in our full scope. And so the lover is one of them where um as women of color, I think the lover, it, it's so polarizing for us because I feel like there's some of us that um, are not comfortable in the lover kind of archetype based on just not being um, encouraged to be in that. Like I'll kind of just go off of my own um, experiences and by the way, um, I just want to say I'm sorry if I am talking to you for like two, three hours. It's totally <laughs> fine. I love this conversation. So <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, like, so just kind of talking about my own personal experiences with the lover, that has been um, a little hard for me. That one is definitely harder for me to tap into um, because I'm seen as um, my family calls me Flecka. So that's just like, it's a nickname that means like skinny. And so they, that's my nickname is Flacca. And I just have always been the like skinny, goofy cousin, right? The skinny, goofy daughter, the skinny, goofy. And like, I don't mind, I love that I'm goofy. Okay. But <laughs> that really made me feel way more comfortable in my maiden energy for a long time it took like really kind of exploring and being comfortable with my lover to feel like it was okay to see myself as like sexy and, you know, something more than like, just always feeling like cute, like this cute little goofy girl. And I was like, you know, so I wanted to feel more really sexy and, uh, you know, empowered in my sensuality. But it, but because of my upbringing, it really was 
hard for me to feel that about myself. But then not only that, you add in like cultural things. So that's just my family upbringing, conditioning, right? But then you add in culture. So I'm Mexican, my ethnicity. And, and in Mexican culture, like you kind of are, you're not allowed to spend the night at anyone's house when you're little, younger, nothing, because they have brothers. Or what if they have dads? They're like, no, we don't know them. No, you need to be safe. Um, you can't wear shorts at your aunt's house. You have to wear like long pants, shorts, can't wear nothing too short. So you're being sexualized already as as a little kid. Like you're kind of, you know, don't go put some pants on. Your uncles are coming. Go put some. And so you're kind you don't realize, I think, then that that in itself is so kind of fucked up to even say. But what you what that does is condition you to not be too sexy or to not be too revealing so like you've got like double kind of conditioning there that kind of makes the lover harder for me personally. And, you know, and then if I'm thinking about friends or family who have like curvier body shapes, it may be harder for them to express the lover archetype because of their body shape. They already automatically feel too sexy, too sexualized, too exposed. So now they're conscious of how high their neckline is because they naturally have big, gorgeous boobs. So like there's so much for us, I feel like as women of color, that is hard because you're sexualized in the media. You can be a fetish. You can have your culture, your upbringing telling you not to um, be in that energy and that those things are bad. Then you throw in like things like religion or things like the media that just makes us, you know, the prostitutes of a movie or like we're not really like shown as the pretty woman or you know like we're we're not casted in those roles so it's definitely a lot more I feel like nuanced and complex for us as women of color to embrace that archetype for sure yeah and I've had I mean similar experiences but I will say like I didn't know that, you know, like you had that nickname growing up with your family, but I will say like, you are gorgeous. I mean, like having, I've only met you like in the past, like two years and stuff. So I don't know your upbringing and what you look like, but you look, you're gorgeous. So, um, yeah, but like, but yeah, like, but all, I mean, I've had similar like upbringings where, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, like I was super like skinny whatever where people would be like oh are you like on a diet all the time like or you need to eat more and all of that and then like yeah the shorts and all oh my god like that was mm-hmm. totally a thing too it's like you know not so much like here in America like I mean I came here when I was five but definitely like whenever I'd go back to India with my family it was always like a thing you know where like as I got older it was like you don't wear shorts and you know all of those things like And so, yeah, like, and, and even now, like, and that stuff stays with you, right? Because like, even when I have like anybody come to my house or anything, it's like, I'm, I'm aware of like, okay, I don't wear like shorts. I don't, you know, any, like any of those things. And so, yeah, like we have all of these layers that kind of, you know, at the time, I guess, like maybe made sense or whatever, like you kind of understood, but like, as we've gotten older, it's, it is hard to break out of that mindset because like you are seeing everywhere that like all of these women who are like super comfortable, like showing up, you know, even when their caption is saying like, oh, like I finally got up the courage to post this picture. And I'm like, I probably will never get up the courage to post a picture of myself like in lingerie or anything. So it's like, 
more power to you, girl. Like, you know, so, it's like, so you know, it's, it's like one of those things where you don't even know that it's there, but like you, you are seeing it, like even, you know, like your conditioning kicks in any, like anytime you see someone's like, you know, picture come up and you're like, wow, like, look at her. Like, she's just out there showing everything. And, you know, and I think like, yeah, like, and it's so interesting that we like don't, you know, we don't like think back to all the things that happened to us when we were kids that led to this, you know, I mean, so I think it is like so interesting, like you said, that like when you're sitting with some of these archetypes that you really kind of think about like, why do I feel certain ways about like the maiden or the lover or who, you know, even the wild woman, things like that. And like, why is this coming up for me? Because yeah, like we could even, I'm sure there are women who look at the wild woman and say, okay, I don't want to be that. Like, yes, I mean, I want to be intuitive right. and all that, but I don't want to be the wild woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like, I don't want to be seen as like not put together or, or unorderly or, and like, why? Like, what is the resistance there of being seen as someone who maybe doesn't have it together all the time? Like, mm-hmm. You know, we all definitely have those, those conditionings. And it's interesting. I've never really thought about it until you asked me that, but I, I think that the wild woman and the lover are two that I've explored with the most recently. And I feel like that have been the most um, suppressed in my life. But I do love that you always kind of talk about like the, like this pleasure in terms of like something other than just sex and even the intuition is something other than just like doing readings or like, okay, it has to be channeling or downloads. It's like, you always talk about it in terms of like everyday sort of, you know, things that you can do. And I, and I love that because yeah, like, I mean, your, your self pleasure. I mean, I think we say that and then all of a sudden everything that comes to mind is like, Oh, I'm just sitting around and like, you know, like masturbating all day and orgasmic manifestation, like all that, you know, like all the stuff that like, you know, but really it's like, sure, maybe you are doing that. Like maybe that is part of your life, but also like on the day when I like take a really nice bath, it's like that to me is like, oh, okay. I am treating myself. Like I went for a massage yesterday and I was like, okay, this is me like treating myself. This is me putting this in into my like routine that I now get to like treat myself to, to regular massages and like that gets to be a part of, of my lover archetype. Yes. And I think that's so important because again, it all goes back to like the whole point is to free ourselves to be divine feminines in whatever way and however we decide to express that. So like to think of pleasure only as like masturbation, I think is so limiting and it's just like what like there are so many ways that I can feel good (laughs) and if that is the only way that you can feel good probably some shadow work to do around the lover archetype because pleasure comes from so many things and it's like kind of finding the magic in in the mundane it's similar to that like Mm. how do you find pleasure outside of you know sex and really using that to empower ourselves exactly all right should we move on to the next one (laughs) okay so the next one is um the wise woman so the wise woman i mean you at this point have had so much experience and there is um 
knowledge and gifts that you've come into wisdom and stories that you've tapped into this is you know the wild woman who has lived and taken lessons instead of just continuing on the path of you know being um it's almost like she takes this fight that that she was um fighting for others and this like instinctive and now she like has fine-tuned it knows discernment so the wise woman has the discernment that the wild woman sometimes can lack um because the wild woman is so instinctual but the wise woman is listening she's listening to her own counsel she's observing her surroundings she's taking in and integrating the wise woman is no stranger to shadow work she is no stranger to healing um and, and in media, she's probably the most unappreciated, in my opinion. Um, and I actually, I want to say maybe she ties. Maybe she ties with the mother as the most unappreciated. But I think that the wild woman or the, the wise woman is always seen as this like crazy old hag. <laughs> this kook that is just so crazy. She's like... um the crazy lady with the hunchback and she's like a witchy lady and she is very you know she's always just tossed out society tosses you out once you get old and it's just so fucked up okay mm-hmm. and the wise woman you know i think now i i feel like society or maybe our generation is really looking to elders with more respect than maybe the generations before us have. I think the generations before us are like, okay, you've reached this age, you're no longer useful. Mm. But I feel like we are like looking to elders at this point and really putting them back into a place of like respect. Um, but that hasn't been the case. And I hope that it just continues to shift. But I feel like the, the wise woman is always portrayed as this like crazy old lady. You know, you think about, I don't know if you've seen the movie Moana, but if you think about her mom, okay, she's just this crazy old lady. Just, but she's got oh, she always has the wisdom. It's the crazy old lady who'll say like the one line, and it'll be like the the gold. It's the line. It's like a gem, or um, the yeah. I'm trying to think of other examples, but I'm sure she's everywhere. In, she's like in Brave. Did you watch Brave? Was there one in Brave? Like the. I can't remember. I'm sure there's like one in every Disney movie. Yes. Yes. She's one in every Disney. If you want to look at the perpetrators of why we're boxed into archetypes, it's Disney. Okay. Yeah. We're the maiden, the mother, or the wise woman, the old kooky lady who has this like cape on and she's like so hideous and she just has like the magic words to say. It's just, it's not fair. I know. <laughs> it's really not fair. Because you think about the conditioning that we're talking about. How many how many um, women are you seeing now that in younger generations that are like really trying to outrun aging? Mm. So many women are trying to outrun yeah. aging. So many um it almost feels like, okay, like if we thought the wild woman was the most suppressed, the way society and the media is going, the wise woman is going to be just non-existent because 
you're not seeing the wise woman as something that you want to be and want to embody, but you're seeing her as something that is not important and not necessary or, you know, undesirable. Yeah. Like I'm just thinking even, even like the idea that, oh, like you can't be the wise woman unless you are like older. I think there's also that because I I've kind of been sitting with a little bit of this, like, wise woman sort of energy lately where it's like you know kind of like coming in with like the wisdom and the knowledge not to say like oh I know everything about everything but you know like we talk a lot about like how you you have like wisdom from past lives like the knowledge that you've brought into this life things like that and like obviously I have a long (laughs) way to go but yeah like but even this idea that like oh you have to reach a certain age or you know be at a certain point to even be the wise woman where like maybe there are people who just come in and like already embody that that like wise woman archetype but yet like we're boxing ourselves in because we're like oh but no I have to reach this like age of like, you know, whatever, some magic age that then I get to become the wise woman. And until then, I just have to be the wild woman who, you know, where, like you said, because we embody all of them, it's like, you can be the wild woman and the wise woman. Yes, I love that you said that, because the same way you can be in your mother archetype without necessarily having kids, it's exactly the same thing. You can be in your wise woman archetype without being you know, of old age, I feel like even doing things like this, I currently feel like I'm in my wise woman archetype. I'm sure you feel that way too. When you're kind of speaking on things that you feel very, like if you've done a lot of research and you want to share that knowledge. So funny that we're actually saying this because a, a shadow side of the wise woman is almost like gatekeeping. You gatekeep all of your wisdom. You gatekeep all of your knowledge. You don't really want to share because it becomes a form. It feeds your ego at a certain point. The knowledge, the, the the gifts that you have, it makes you feel as a wise woman that you're superior to the maiden or to, you know, those are the kind of um, shadow sides that maybe look at the maiden and say, oh, you're so naive. Because you feel that you're so wise and you're so, you've done so much work. And so that can be a shadow side of the wise woman. But to be, to your point is we can be in our wise woman anytime that we feel like we are ready to share knowledge. That's totally in your wise woman energy. And I think um, because you and I both like in our human design, we have the line two in our profile. And, you know, that speaks of like being a natural at things. And I think like one of those ways is probably that like you have picked up knowledge from past lives. Like that probably is why, like when you see something in this lifetime, like you are a natural at it, you know, like you can pick it up because that's kind of how I feel about certain things where it's like, okay, I've probably worked with this before, like something like human design, you know, like, or even astrology, like those type of like, you know, those, those like systems that you can kind of just find. And then you are like, oh, okay, I'm already, Like, I'm just drawn to it. I kind of know it. Like, that to me speaks of this, like, wise woman sort of archetype of, yeah, it's not something I'm just finding for the first time, like, in in this lifetime. It's like, maybe this is knowledge I've carried from past lives. Exactly. Exactly. So, really, the best medicine is when you're feeling, like, untapped with your wise woman is to share. Share what you're learning. Share some knowledge. Share 
um, share something that you have learned and, and that immediately puts you into this wise woman energy. She's really just the person who is, like I said, she's so unafraid of the shadow work because she's integrated. She's taken the time to integrate lessons. And the wise woman is the one who embraces her gifts. She's the one who knows what they are, knows how to use them, embraces them and shares them with love and with the same gentleness that the mother would. Hmm. Nice. All right, next one. (laughs) Okay, so the next one we have, so we've got two left. So the next one is the huntress. Um, And the huntress is definitely this driven, goal-oriented very courageous she would be who you would say like you know girl boss Hmm. like that's the huntress the huntress is the girl boss the huntress is Simone Biles the huntress is um Serena Williams the huntress is Oprah the huntress is you know someone who is just the ultimate like go-getter the huntress can be seen in society as someone who's cold Um, the hunters can be seen as someone who's detached, too cold, too independent, too, um, too masculine. All it can be portrayed as masculine energy, which is so again, restrictive for women who feel very empowered going after their goals and really like taking shit down, like one goal after another and really allowing them to feel independent. So that is um, definitely a divine feminine aspect that I feel like gets um, coined as masculine a lot, but it, she's not, she is just someone who is focused and the huntress is, is surprisingly enough, also very sensual. So it's she has this like sensuality to her that is a little bit more I want to say strong than the lover the lover has this kind of sensuality that's very soft where the huntress has this kind of sensuality that's very like I'm um owned like I own my sensuality and I again like this boss kind of energy with it Mm -hmm. um that's the huntress and a lot of times she's also not accepted you you think back about um to uh you think to you think to like um the way that the media really says like women who are after their goals are very they're man eaters or they don't they're like super cold women when in reality, these women at, are focused and they are choosing to be their own warrior. And I think that there's something very powerful about being in your feminine energy and saying, I am my own warrior. I am a sensual goddess in the way that I have in my drive and in my, my motivations I am a warrior and a goddess and and to be both in the huntress energy just feels like she's so underrated. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why it's great that you like made the distinction between like the huntress and then the divine masculine, because I think that society kind of wants to paint like the masculine as this like 
kind of like negative thing that, you know, if, if women are in there, they're masculine, then it's like, oh, you're not like the feminine who's, who's just like flowing and receiving, but you can also be the huntress in your feminine, which I love. And that's probably like what I have been for most of my, you know, most of my life, (laughs) Mars and Capricorn. So (laughs) same, same. I have been heavy in my maiden mother and huntress probably up until about 2019 Um, because that's all I knew. And you go back to your experience as a BIPOC like woman and you think, okay, I am encouraged to be in my maiden and be pure and not to, you know, be over-sexualized. I also had to grow up really fast because you are, I am a Brown woman in America, first generation American. So going into my mother pretty quickly. And then as a first generation American, wanting to do really good Mm -hmm. and achieve so many things um, as far as your goals are because you want to make your parents proud. So like being in the huntress energy is very natural for me. And and it came from external conditioning, you know, so to not be in my huntress feels almost sometimes like I'm not doing enough or like I'm being too, um, I'm not, I'm not being as much of a go-getter as I should be. So there's like so much conditioning that come from just being my, you know, brown (laughs) yeah no I think that's very true and I like that that you said that because yeah I think uh, most of us have been in our huntress probably for like throughout our 20s like in you know into our 30s like for sure because that's just like all we've known is that you you go out you achieve like you know like you're ambitious and all that and sometimes it's made to seem like oh it's a it's like a wrong thing because obviously once you start like climbing the corporate ladder as a brown woman, that's also seen as like a negative thing. You're seen as like a bitch, like all those things. Right. And so like, I think we've always had to play this sort of like balancing act of, okay, like I'm, I'm achieving, but I'm also not like overtaking the white people that I work with, you know, like that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yes. And then at the same time, you're not validating your achievements because there's the imposter syndrome that comes with being in, dominantly white spaces Mm -hmm. so you know you're there's just so much that comes from with each archetype that I feel like it's it's so important to see ourselves as all of them Mm -hmm. all right let's get to the last okay (laughs) so the last one is the queen so the queen is the last archetype and um she is I mean the queen you think queen bee you think Beyonce you think like just super um expansive and just someone who knows her worth like in and out and just sees herself as worthy um and this isn't just about being materialistic or you know the queen is not in her shadow yes the queen is very materialistic and the queen is very judgmental and in her shadow the queen can also be um very threatened all the time she feels like someone is you know her kingdom is being threatened always she's always on the defense but in her in her life she's very decisive because she has a queendom to run and she's very nurturing because she is a queen and she is also very um 
she's a leader and she is expansive not only for herself but for others and for people in her circle and in her energy so the queen is definitely all about self-care but it's about self-care in a way that makes you feel confident not necessarily self-care as it's as like a band-aid love that yeah, because I think that's that's mostly what we use self care for, is <laughs> just as a band aid and not so much like and that that's why you know I mentioned the massage thing because I've actually incorporated that into my like routine. I mean, mostly because I've had like lower back pain that you know my body was screaming out for it, but like I was I really like actively made the choice that it was like okay this year I'm going to like treat myself to this because. Like, it can't just be something you do when, like, okay, your body is screaming for it or because, like, you've put it off for months and all of that. It's, like, something that you have to just, like, you have to actively, like, do for yourself. And I think mm-hmm. that, like, I love that that distinction because, yeah, I think a lot of us can tend to kind of look at these things as, like, oh, it's just something you do, you know, once in a while when you want to, like, treat yourself, but not as something that is, like, necessary, and so right. I love that. I also think that the queen is probably the one that's talked about the least. Yeah, I think so too. Because I feel like the queen is seen as very superficial, superficial and materialistic. And I think it's the same way as like um, the lover is seen as the seductress and kind of minimizes that. I, I think that the queen is minimized as something, someone who just is investing in self-care. And I think the point of the queen is to know your worth. Mm-hmm. And know your worth by being confident in your decisions and by leading by example and by making sure that you are the queen of your life, of your own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is the best thing. If, if someone is wanting to tap into their queen energy, my biggest suggestion would be to make make a big decision. Mm-hmm. Decide on something that feels like a big decision and you will feel like that queen, like, like, okay, I just made a really big decision for myself and for my queendom. And it kind of taps into that energy. So the queen is someone who's very decisive. And I think you're right. I don't think she's talked about, but it's one of those things where she's really portrayed negatively more than she is portrayed as like um, Princess Diana, you know? Right. Yeah. All right. I loved that. Thank you for like going into each of those. Oh my God, that was so good. Um, okay, so I have a, just a couple more questions. I won't drag this on too long, but um, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so how can we balance our divine feminine and masculine energies together? So I think the most important thing is to not define them right away. Um, to balance them, I think you're going to want to explore them. What does your feminine energy feel and look like? What archetype of the feminine energy do you feel most comfortable in and which do you feel least comfortable in and exploring why without trying to define your masculine energy as the doer and your feminine energy as the beer? because I feel like that's not the same for all of us. And so I I say, if you want to rebalance your energies, explore them without defining them just yet. And once you kind of get an idea of how they express themselves within you, 
I think all that's left is to let it be. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like so <laughs> like what, but that I feel like that's honestly what I would say is once you understand how your energy works, just observe and let it be. Let them run their course. Let them express themselves mm-hmm. in the way that is most natural for you and then validate yourself that yes, this is my masculine energy. This is my feminine energy without trying to say one is better than the other or one needs to be worked on more than the other, but just letting them coexist within you and acknowledging them freely, I think is going to be the best way to make yourself feel balanced. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think like everything you said about just like not needing to like, yes, you sit with it, you explore it, but then to like not kind of obsess over like, okay, well, am I like too much in my masculine today and then too much in my feminine tomorrow? Like, you know, because they're interacting with each other all the time. They're, they're both a part of us. And I think that that's what a lot of people, I mean, I know people say that, but I think we also tend to kind of like forget about it because yes, they exist within us. But I think that like people do kind of want to say like, oh, but I'm so much in my masculine today and I need to be more in my feminine. But really it's like, maybe that's what you need. And I love when you said like, yeah, don't like judge it, you know? So I love that. Let them observe them and let them pass like butterflies. Like Mm -hmm. you just watch your masculine energy work, watch your feminine energy work like a butterfly and just letting them be without correcting yourself and saying, no, this is how masculine energy needs to be. Or no, this is like, because then you're just perpetuating the same cycles that the media is boxing us in. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, let's just, I think we've kind of gone over this, but, um, if you want to just talk about like some practical ways that we can work with our divine feminine. Yeah. So I think, um, for sure there was, there's like nature, nature is a good way to connect with your feminine. Anytime you're connecting with mother earth, you are connecting with your divine feminine energy. Um, but I also think, you know, making decisions, I think setting goals, and going hard is going to put you into your huntress. Um, I think learning and sharing as you learn puts you into your wise woman. Dancing and playing um, puts you into your maiden. And when I say play, I literally mean like any form of play. This is just like self-pleasure with a lover. It does not have to be dancing around your room. It doesn't have to be masturbating in your bed. Pleasure for the lover and play for the maiden can be whatever forms that takes for you. But those are going to be practical ways of tapping into that energy. Um, And I think the only one that I missed was the mother. And for that one, I would really just say, I know I did say the mother. So yeah, that was it. Oh, the wild woman. Alone time. Solitude. Solitude is what she needs. Okay. Oh, I loved this. Oh my God. This conversation was so good. Uh, Thank you for like going through each of the archetypes. I hope that everybody found this like as informative as I did. Like I love diving into it and just like, um, because I feel like when I learned them last year, it was like, wow, like it opened up so much, but I had never really like sat with them. And now I feel like 
I really do want to like dive more into each of these archetypes or at least kind of explore like where I'm at. So I love this. I'm off. I'm going to put all of your information in the description. Um, and I guess like, yeah, if there's any like posts or anything you have that um, you want to share, we can definitely share that with them as well. Um, but thank you so much for this conversation. This was so good. Thank you for having me. It was so awesome. I felt honestly, I loved how deep you went with like the BIPOC perspective. So that was amazing. And I'm super grateful that you like asked those questions about, about the archetypes. So thank you so, so much for having me. Yeah, I totally look forward to seeing all of the work that you do on the Divine Feminine coming up. So yes, keep an eye out for it. Well, thank you guys. And I will see all of you or I will catch all of you on, on a future episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at flowinshakti. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.